Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone, on today's podcast we are getting ready for the Cheltenham Festival with former champion hurdle winning jockey and BBC racing presenter, pundit, expert Richard Pittman and Sam Martin, a young writer for Rain It In Racing and a content creator for Careers in Racing. Thank you both for joining me. Pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, on on today's podcast we're going to... uh, talk about your Cheltenham memories. Uh, Richard's will be a bit longer than yours, Sam. And, mm-hmm. and give listeners a few horses to follow between the 15th and 18th of March. But let's start with you, Sam. How much are you looking forward to the Cheltenham Festival? Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's always a highlight of my year, I suppose. Um, whether we like it or not, the jump season is tailored to those four days in March. And I feel like it's there's quite an open feeling to the races at the festival this year. We could see a lot of um, brilliant horses, obviously we will, and hopefully a lot of thrilling races to go with it. And still being at school, how, how do you manage, you know, during that week to, to watch the races? Do you, you, you can't say on the podcast here that you're going to bunk off school those afternoons. I don't think I can justify it, to be fair. Um, in the middle of, well, I've got AS levels coming up. So, uh, I probably can't have the days off school, but uh, it'll just involve running home from the bus stop, I think, to get there as soon as possible. Um, Thank God for recordings. So I'll just have it all recorded. And when I get home at four o'clock, I'll have to start from the start. I'll be logging out of Twitter. I won't be able to look at it so I don't get any spoilers, I suppose. And Richard, how much are you looking forward to the the four-day festival? I live for it and for Aintree. Those two things keep me alive because I was born only barely half a mile from the course. So, you know, it really excites me. Um, and Aintree, of course, we'll get on to that in, in a few, in a while, I expect. Um, it's just the pinnacle, you know, it's everyone builds up for so long. And this period now, trainers, you can't talk to them. They get 
twitchy, you know, they walk their stables. I, I'm just so excited for everyone. Uh, I don't think I dislike anyone, so I'm pleased for whoever wins because I, I know what goes into it. As does Sam, she's always going around stables. And, um, you know, the, the passion is just so strong. And talking about memories then, Richard, I mean, yours goes back a bit longer than Sam's. What's your first memory of the Cheltenham Festival? Bunking off school at Tewkesbury Grammar School, which is why I failed nine O-levels, all nine, didn't even get religious instruction or woodwork. And I used to walk, my parents didn't know, and I'd go out in my school clothes with my racing clothes in my satchel, and I'd change in a hollowed out burnt oak tree and leave my satchel with my school clothes in it and walk across the fields cross the railway which is still going now as a tourist attraction and i eat my lunch sitting in the wings at the fence at the top of the hill and the first one i remember and i it's vivid and i think it was brown marshall and arthur thompson long gone now came round to go down that quickening slope towards home one going well and one off the bridle the one off the bridle really pushed the head off his horse to get upsides the other one and put his hand over and took the bridle off his rival who quickly did a right-hand turn and went towards Winchcombe. Well, of course, that was the day before uh, cameras everywhere, you know, but it was so exciting. I thought, can this be real? And I was sitting there watching it. And that was, oh, I was 12, so a very long time ago. And, and what about yourself, Sam? Just to give a bit of perspective here, I think you're born in... 2004 is that right so I was the, yes <laughs> that's the year just to, to say it's the year when best mate won his third gold cup so what's your first memory of the Cheltenham festival I don't really have a it's not a specific year I just know channel four was still doing the racing it's probably I've got no idea but I had the whole week off school not intentionally I was really really poorly and I spent the whole week just lying on the settee watching the racing. And I ended up, I think I hallucinated J.P. McManus horses everywhere. Um, that's how poorly I was. Um, but it got me hooked on the sport. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to know what year. And I'd love to know whether J.P. McManus really did have a good festival. Or it was just my mind playing tricks on me. It must have been those colours, mustn't it? Yeah. And back to you, Richard. Uh, what was your first ride at the Cheltenham Festival? Oh, I haven't a clue. Not a clue. I had, luckily, as I rode for Fred Winter uh, from 1964, but didn't start riding good horses until 67 or 8. Um, and I can't remember, but I had so many good memories there because we had, amazingly, from just a yard of 50 horses, you know, we had five of the country's best horses for for quite a few seasons but my first gold cup ride was on a really leery old horse called freddy boy and uh, he, he needed to be held up and covered up because he he didn't race when he hit the front um and in those days i'm so old and sam would never remember this the of course you won't you probably don't the gold cup started where the tented village is now and it jumped one fence before it came onto the race course proper Anyway, we, we jumped one fence and uh, crossed onto the racehorse proper. Whack! I was parged into the rails. 
And uh, it turned out to be Timmy Hyde, who's a big uh, pin hooker and breeder and a big team player for Coolmore. Anyway, you know, pretty hard rider, along with Ted Walsh, Ruby's father. They were hard riders. And my horse went down on its knees. Eventually, we ran on to finish fourth, so it may have done him a favour. But I, I said to uh, Timmy Hyde afterwards, Timmy, that was unfair. We don't ride like that here. He said, what? Oh, did I? I'm sorry. Did I interfere with you? I said, you know you did. No, no, no. He called Pat Taffer. But Pat, would I do that to any? No, of course you wouldn't. No, Timmy, Timmy. Tim. Anyway, about 20 years later, a drinks party he came up having had a few and said, you're a big soft so-and-so you are. Of course I, of course I marmalized you. And my thinking was, if I can get rid of one early in the race, that's one less to beat at the end. <laughs> now, you've had a good record in the, in the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Uh, uh, well, I say good record. You, you, we, we won't mention 1973, but you... you... Well, I think it's quite important. I, I had some good rides in it. I was second on Soothsayer, one of Fred's winters, and Beulah, dual champion hurdler, was in the race. Uh, Franklin on that one, me on Soothsayer, who was American, very good horse. And we came down the hill, bottomless ground. We're upsides each other, chatting away. You know, how are you going, Pip? They used to call me Pip. I'm going, well, Franks, how are you? Yeah, I'm flying. And in front of us was, must have been Tide Cottage or something like that. Um, Irish horse, Tommy Carberry. And uh, Frankham, who was always an eye to the future, said, well, one of us will win. Let's split the money. Whoever wins will split the prize money, the fee. I said, well, that's all right by me. And we went to the last, still both hadn't moved. And we were about six lengths behind the leader, but absolutely still going well. And we both missed the fence. We both went into the bottom, tripped over it, scrambled away but we'd lost the the leader and it's the only time i've ever beaten frankham on the running you know soothsayer was second and bula was third but it was bottomless ground which we don't seem to get these days but i will quickly go through some of the others pendle in 73 odds on favorite and we talked about tactics i wanted to come after the last because he was a funny little horse when he hit the front and fred winter who'd won several gold cups as a rider said no Richard if you miss the last in a competitive gold cup you won't get back I'd rather you got beaten from being there too soon well how prophetic was that I hit the front two out went to the last three clear and the roar of the crowd and the colour of people and throwing hats in the air and poor old Pendle pricked his ears and stopped momentarily but enough to lose his stride the dickler came past him Pendle fought back Short head was the distance. A stride later, I'm half a length clear. So it was an important race, and I don't mind talking about it. But just one quickly on that, Sam, sorry to bore you, but the next year he was favoured again, Pendle. And Fred Winter said, do what you like, hold him up this time. And coming down the hill, he was running away, you know, as if he'd just started the race. And I pulled him in behind High Ken, who wasn't a great jumper, going to the second last because I didn't want to hit the front. But as I pulled in behind, the Dickler and Captain Christie have come up on my outer specifically to hem me in. That's riding, race riding. Hiken fell, brought Pendle down, end of that story. He should have won two Gold Cups. But just an aside and a quick one, um, 
the lad who did him in the paddock said, get this horse withdrawn. I said, you, you can't, he's favourite. He said, no, no, there's a threat, an IRA threat to have him shot if he hits the front. Now, whether it was IRA or who or what, but he'd been sleeping with that horse for 10 days and then working all through the day. He, he, a jockey cannot get a horse withdrawn. Starter vets get them withdrawn. And um, when it went down, of course, both Fred Winter and the lad thought the horse had been shot. And I came in and said to Terry Biddle's story, he said, that wasn't very fair. I said, no, it wasn't, was it? No, they could have missed you and got me. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam, what you can't follow that. What, what's your favourite moments uh, of, of Cheltenham? Uh, well, I suppose watching, I'd say it was when Champ won the RSA because I watched it at school um, and he was quite, he was about, I think he was 12 to 1 or something like that. And, uh, or a decent price anyway, I can't remember exactly. And um, I'd, I'd said to my history teacher, look, he'll win. And obviously we all know how, he didn't look like he was going to win. It was only kind of in the dying strides that he managed to win. But my history teacher back to the second and I was there all smug because I'd had champ. But that was a very thrilling race. But um, I was lucky enough to be at the 2020 Festival on the Tuesday. Um, and I got to see my favourite horse, McQuay's Hill, running the Ultima. Um, which was so exciting. I waited, I was like jumping up and down waiting for him to come into the parade ring. And then I ran down the walkway to the track, following him along. So I'd run a little bit, wait by the fence, take a picture, run a little bit, wait by the fence, take a picture. And um, it was amazing to see him actually in person racing at the biggest festival of them all. He didn't win. If he'd won, I probably would be a puddle on the floor and they would have had to like sweep me up and take me home. Um, but it was it was really thrilling, and um, I saw Honeysuckle win the mare's hurdle as well, and we were by the winning post uh, for that race, and it was just incredible because all the people who'd like backed Benny Dejia um, were like, like cheering, like kind of the partnership that is Rachel Blackmore and Honeysuckle, even before they'd won all the races they've won since. Um, so that was pretty special. Sam, can, um, can I just butt in here a bit, Stephen? When you're standing around the parade ring and you're watching them go around, of course, you're five foot one or something. I don't know. Maybe more. <laughs> uh, but you're looking up at jockeys sitting on top of big horses. They're a long way up. Now, jockeys have a chip on their shoulder about being small, a lot of them, you see. So when you're going around these parade rings at Cheltenham 20 deep and you're looking down, you do notice people. And so if a jockey winks at you, don't think that he's telling you to back the horse. You know, he's just being what jockeys are like. <laughs> it's funny you say that. One of the um, I was waiting at Warwick on Saturday as they were coming all coming back in, and um, I was like, taking my pictures of all of them and looking a little bit, just looking at all the horses. And Dad went when they passed. One of those jockeys winked at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's like, a human trait. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, did you get a good mark from that history teacher? I did actually. Yes, I did, and I got the history award for the um, for the year. And on my little certificate, it says, "We miss you and your tips in the department." <laughs> so, yeah, a bit of grade inflation there. Oh well, we don't. I like to think I earned it. <laughs> Well, I'd like to move on to some of the, the highlights of, of, of Cheltenham over, over many years. Um, Sam, feel free to 
as as Richard did, butt in and ask ask uh, ask the expert a few a few questions. But I wanted to just speak about some topical events. Uh, Richard was about in the 1970s when we had this golden era of of hurdling with Night Nurse, Monksfield, Bula, Comedy of Errors, Sea Pigeon, and of course Lanzarotti, who won in 1974. What can you tell me about those days, uh, Richard? Well. They were a golden era, and, and why is because the horses kept meeting each other, and they, it was just very, very exciting. And they, they were so different. Little Monksfield, tiny little horse, and he used to wind his legs outwards, sideways, you know, dishing, we call it, but really badly. Uh, he'd cut the legs off another horse if he was too close, and then he was taking on the likes of um, Night Nurse, great, big, strong horse, and Bird's Nest, a sort of very smart, pretty, almost dressage horse. They were different horses, but all thoroughly, thoroughly good. And so they, they'd meet each other. It, it was just marvellous. And this is why jumping fans get so attached to them, because they see them that much longer than they do the flat horses who whip off to stud. And also in 1983, we had Michael Dickinson saddling the, the first five home in the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Yes, I know Dickie well. I used to ride with him. We both call each other Tricky Dickie. I don't know why. We're pretty straightforward, basically. Anyway, he lost stones in weight from the pressure leading up to it. And when he went to the Gold Cup, his shirt, collar of his shirt, there was about an inch and a half of nothingness where he'd lost weight even from his neck. You know, he, it was such a, a, a really passionate thing. But to get f- the first five home, was great. I mean, I can still hear Peter O'Sullivan's uh, commentary, you know, and he's going through them, Bragorn and Wayward Lord and uh, Captain John, blah, blah, blah. and Dickinson's going to have the first four home. Oh, hang on, he's going to have the fifth. Here comes whatever it was. Ash- Ashwell. Ashley God. House, I think, yeah. Ashley House, yeah. No, oh, marvellous time. And when you think, and Sam will know this going around all the yards, just to get a horse fit for the occasion you've trained him for, is amazing thing to be able to do because there are so many viruses and coughs and sneezes and blood vessels and legs to get five in the race and the first five home. Well, you have to take your hat off. And Sam, one you must remember would be Sprinter Sacra winning the Queen Mother Champion Chase in 2013 and 2016. Yeah, I do remember that. Probably more so 2016. Uh, it was such a special time because obviously it had been so poorly really and um yeah he was one of the horses that I kind of followed one of the early horses I followed um and yeah he's everybody loves him you can't not he was just the most gorgeous horse to look at and um and when he won the champion chase he was just perfect and I mean Nicky Henderson's kind of very good at having these two mile chasers sprinters out your now Shishkin and um so we're all just looking to see who the next one will be, not to get too carried away. Um, but obviously Shishkin's got a very good chance in the champion chase this year. Um, Richard, how do you think that maybe this, like you said about the champion hurdlers, the horses that we see in that race now would stack up to the horses of the 70s? Yeah, I think it's impossible to compare eras, and I hate saying one's better than the other. But, I mean, what is exciting is that, that Honeysuckle, paired up with Rachel, who's 
great for the sport, um, is unbeaten. She was bred in Dorset. Were we discussing this earlier? No, uh, you and I on, on Twitter or something where she was bred? I think anyway. so. Yes, actually. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Is it the practice? Yeah, uh, you know, she she went through the ring, as most of them do. Nobody could imagine that she would be unbeaten in, is it 14 14, now? yeah. 14, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's quite incredible. And looking at her at the moment, uh, you know, she's she's a firm favourite. Uh, and <laughs> you can't look past her in a way. She's slick and fast at her jumps. This is an odd one, but they all do. But I would hate to compare them. It's just times are different. We don't get the heavy ground now. at the moment. We do, yes. But at the Cheltenham Festival, we never seem to get a slog like it used to be because of the drainage, which is fantastic there. So it's very hard to compare them. I, 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 while we're, I mentioned Rachel Blackmore, I just wanted to say she rides a super line. Now, that might sound, well, why don't they all ride a super line? Well, you can't all be in the same place, otherwise you'd be on top of each other. But she never seems to be in the wrong place. And uh, she got up the inner, didn't she, two seasons ago, around that last bend and, and went on to win. She, whatever she seems to do seems to work. Got a great racing brain on and keeping on the highlights, two, two memorable occasions when you were working for the BBC, Richard, must have been when... Desi won the Gold Cup in 1989 and, and Dawn run in 1986. Yeah. Um, Desi, I mean, everyone's hero, Gray, loved to jump like Pegasus. Uh, very, very good around Kempton right-handed, but didn't like going left. And so when he eventually won the Gold Cup, everyone was pleased for Ellsworth, the owner, for the horse especially. And... And I'd say to anyone going to Cheltenham, go to the Hall of Fame and go as you start to walk down it. There's like a, a, a photo frame with nothing in it until you get close. It's a hologram of Desert Orchid and Janice Coyle, of course. She was always with Desi. So this hologram, you pass it. And as you walk half a pace later, it moves, too. It's the most surreal experience because if you're not ready for it, you jump out of your skin. Though Desi was an amazing horse. I, I hate it when someone says it was a moderate or a weak race for any big race. They all take winning and you can only beat what's there. But he beat Yahoo, who wasn't, you know, wasn't in the same league, really. So what was Ellen Dawn Run? Oh, Dawn Run, yeah, 1996. Yeah big rangy mare i mean she was 17 hands i'd say and she was owned by a tiny little leprechaun of a woman if you can have female leprechauns i don't know and called charmian hill and she used to ride her at home and uh, when we went there with the bbc to do a, a feature on her she came she was late and she's come back in her riding clothes streaming blood all over her face where i said oh mrs hill are you all right oh yeah sure sure i just I, I, I galloped through some bramble bushes and, you know, they, I only just got through them. You know, they were taking the face off me. A lovely woman. So anyway, you have to remember, Stephen, she won the champion hurdle. Tony Mullins on board. He was replaced by John Joe O'Neill for the Gold Cup. And that was controversial. But people make decisions. And so it worked out. And again, I can hear Peter O'Sullivan his commentary, because Wayward Lad hit the front, going to the last, there were three 
in front, I think, of Dawn Run. And she came back with a great resurgence, as that hill does. It changes races. And O'Sullivan was saying, no way, we're not just starting to flounder a little bit. And so, 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 and uh, Dawn Run making ground. And the mayor's going to get up. It was a marvellous thing. He was, I, I think he must have backed it. He was so over-excited about it. But it was a great thing for a mayor to win a champion hurdle in a gold cup. Marvellous thing. So what, when you see mayors like Dom run winning the big races, how do you feel about the mayor's only hurdles and chases now? Because I've got a bit of an issue with the lack of mayors in the Cheltenham Gold Cup. I think recently it's only been shattered love and even kind of... That she's the only one in kind of my lifetime, really, to actually run in the race. Yeah, it's a big point. But Sam, as you will see from going racing and following so much now, um, they have boosted the mayor's races tremendously. Good prizes, lots of them. And as in tennis, I suppose, the girls have a job or can't compete with the men. So when you get this odd mayor that can compete it's great and they're few and far between i mean you the tennis analogy is another thing going back to it you know you put serena williams in there amongst nadal and federer she she wouldn't hold a candle to them uh, but when you get a good mayor they are very very good but that brings us on to the subject of should they have a seven pound allowance from the geldings if they're a top mayor I think, yes, to encourage them to run against the boys all through the, the winter, yep, get seven pounds. But if you're good enough to be very fancy or, or to run in one of these big races, level weights would be my thinking. And talking about changes, Richard, and, and Sam, feel free to ask, ask the expert here a few questions. Um, how much has, has Cheltenham changed over the years since you first went? Oh, this is a real sort of a desert island disc thing, isn't it? it um, is, yeah. I, I'm so old that I can remember three different winners' enclosures. One of them was right up, way, way up where the hot dog van is behind the press room there, um, and maybe even a bit higher up, and only 20 people could get round it. You know, it was pathetic. Uh, then it moved to a, above and beyond... Uh, the parade ring now and you could get a couple of hundred people around it now of course not just with the steppings that originated in that sort of lovely backdrop to the winner's enclosure now with that walkway above it going from uh, the stands you can get 3,500 people watching the winners come in it has evolved and brought so much more passion to the winners coming in. You imagine coming up through the parade ring to that winner's enclosure now with so many people shouting for you, cheering you. Oh, it's a great sporting occasion. And were there as many Irish coming over back when you no. were young? No, because we bought all the horses. Now all the big owners buy them and keep them in Ireland. So. Um, on that score, Willie Mullins got to be odds on for top trainer again, just looking through his his entries. And um, the ones with multiple entries, and sorry to be going on like this, um, I've got some involvements through buying horses with him. We might have three runners there. I, I don't know. But 
several of them are entered in different races. And I asked Patrick Mullins the other day, uh, Patrick, what do you think so-and-so will run in? Oh, Richard, he said, Willie, Willie can't make his mind up about what he's having on his toast until it pops out of the toaster. So <laughs> that wasn't exactly helpful. And the media coverage must have been not anywhere near as much as it is today. Oh, television has broadened a lot, but media coverage and most of the racing hacks have been sacked. You know, there's hardly anyone doing it anymore. I mean, Marcus Armitage is the only one with the, um, the Telegraph. You know, they used to, Jim McGrath used to be a whole team in all these papers. But no, that's changed. But of course, television has got more access now. It's become more person to person it's it's great i love it and sam has there only been any significant changes with the layout of the track oh yes enormous sam i did mention about the gold cup starting where mccoy's statue is now down by the uh, the shops there but also at that time there was a four mile chase and it went through where the car park is now along by the Cheltenham Evesham Road back down where the hostel is and joined the joined the race course again up near the stables it was quite incredible because they just went out of view for about two minutes three minutes but yes of course it's changed then the addition of the new course in my time also the cross-country course but what a natural amphitheater Sam you've got so I bet you know, at your age at 16, full of enthusiasm, you're very knowledgeable. And you, when you get there, you look out across Presby Park and you think there could be no better place to put a race course. Exactly. I couldn't believe how well it just fitted into that gap when I first went uh, with all the with Cleve Hill in the background. It's, it's perfect, isn't it? And the sound just echoes around. Yes. And that roar when the first race of the, the four days goes and the crowd just roar. I mean, it's it's marvellous. But it wasn't always there, you know. Before that, it was on the hill, up above, on, on the top of Cleve Hill. And uh, it was very popular. And so much so, they built a special road in from Withington, way around the other side of Cheltenham, uh, high up, to get the people in. And uh, it, it was very gambly. And there was a new... Uh, Church of England priest in Cheltenham called Father, oh, not Father, Dean Close. And uh, he thought it was terrible. So his um, gambling, you know, all these people enjoying something, getting drunk, he uh, and his pursuers or followers went and burnt the stands down. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how it came downhill and how fortuitous that it did. And also the Irish... Uh... As as far as winning races back in 1989, they they actually failed to win a race. Now, now uh, say last year it was 23-5. That certainly changed. Yeah, and it, and it's just as strong now. I mean, Gordon Elliott will have as big a team as Willie, but there's many more. Mick Winter only has a few. Gavin Cromwell. No, there's a stack of people. You know, who it, it isn't just Willie and Gordon. They they're all there to be you know, to be admired and respected. We must respect them. They, I know people get annoyed and say it's not all about Cheltenham the season, but it pretty much is. And is that, is that, um, has that changed over the years? Has it become too important or? 
I don't think so. Are the Olympics too important? You know, no, I, I, it's our Olympics. It's, it, it is important. Um, and think of the trade it brings, you know, 50% of the people there are, are Irish. You know, I, I, I was, as I say, born there. I wish I'd kept hold of my parents' house. I'd have rented that out for Cheltenham Week, made a packet, wouldn't we? <laughs> no, I love the rivalry. I absolutely love it. But when you think Willie and Gordon will have teams of over 50 and could nearly be 60 over the four days. When I was riding, the big trainers, Fruit Warwin, Fred Winter, Fred Rymel, in the North, Gordon Richards, W.A. Stevenson, never had more than 50 horses to train. And now a trainer can come over with 50 runners. One Irish jockey who did have success at the Cheltenham Festival was Charlie Swan, who won the champion hurdle three times with Isterbrac in 1998, 99 and 2000. Charlie was also the leading jockey at the festival in 1993 and 1994. I was lucky to catch up with Charlie as he is helping on another interesting podcast, which is soon to be released, to discuss his first and favourite memories of Cheltenham. I suppose when I was growing up, I used to always um, look at the Gold Cup and things. I suppose probably the year Ty Cottage fell at the last in the Cheltenham Gold Cup. I can remember watching that. I think Alverton might have won it. Um, that's probably one of my first first memories, really. Um, and then I think my first ride there, I broke my arm in the Triumph Hurdle. So it wasn't a great start for me, but it ended out all right. <laughs> well, not a good start. Well, the Triumph Hurdle, perhaps in your day, there was probably 30 runners, I think. Yeah, I think it was a good few runners, all right. But there wasn't too many near, near the finish. They were well strung out. Yeah, I got a fall at the last. Oh, you got to the last then? Were you in contention? I think I was going to finish fifth or sixth or something like that. But um, they were well strung out. Not the best start but, for your uh, first ride then? No, then I actually, when I was in the ambulance, on the way back to the weigh room, the ambulance crashed into a car. I nearly went out to the front window, so to get a fall and then get a, a crash on the way back to the weigh room wasn't great either <laughs> not the best start was it no 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 you had many many successes at Cheltenham famously Isterbrack Viking flagship and Denoli but which gave you the most pleasure well that's a hard one they all gave me they all gave me great pleasure but I suppose winning the third champion hurdle on, on Isterbrack you'd would have to say you know um, there wasn't many, too, you know, there hasn't been too many horses, horses that have done it three times. And to be part of that group, I suppose that was, it was a big thrill that day, really, you know, and especially the fright the night before that the horse had, had burst a blood vessel in his box and uh, we weren't sure whether he was going to run or not. So it was, it was a great relief. And, you know, that was probably the, the, the best one, really, I suppose. And do you think he'd have won next year if we hadn't had foot and mouth? Yeah, he was in great form at the time. And, you know, it was, it was a pity now. It was, you know, it's so annoying. But um, there's nothing we can do about it now, I'm afraid. And I've got to ask this question. How, how is Mr. Brack? And when, when did you last see him? Yeah, he's in, he's in great order. He's, um, I haven't seen him for about three or four months, I suppose. But he's... I, I keep asking JP and he says he's in good order and I often ask the lads in the yard down there. Um, 
you know, he goes out every day. He's on the walker. He's, you know, they look after him so well down there. There's one place if you retire, you'd want to be a racehorse to be retired down there. It would be the, the best place. <laughs> Talking of change, Sam, what are your thoughts on the possibility of five days instead of four at the festival? I don't think it should change from four for a range of reasons. Um, it seems like that would just be for corporate means to for all the various people who benefit from this kind of event to get more money. And I think it would sacrifice maybe the quality that we see. I know a lot of people kind of have grievances with the Ryanair being partway between the Champion Chase and the Gold Cup because it kind of it gives horses an extra option. And then you've got all the novice chases as well. So if you were to add more to the mix, you'd have to find about seven more races. And that would surely... Um, detract away from the ones we've got now and as well um, I think if it moved to the Saturday that would be quite damaging for Utoxeter in the Midlands National as well um, that would have to be rescheduled and it pushed the, the the whole calendar around really and people are moaning there's too many races already so I don't think you can add an extra day to Cheltenham on that basis. And Richard what's your thoughts? Yeah, very valid points from Sam, and you can come from lots of angles. The only angle I could see it coming from is to give a chance to the people who can't compete at the top level. I know that's watering things down, but there are lots of people who could get a Cheltenham winner. The Saturday would be less well It would almost be like the Saturday of Ascot. You know, it's not quite the same as Royal Ascot. And therefore, it'd be a lesser day, but all the facilities are in in place. I, I don't know. I'd need to think more about it, but I'm not totally against shutting the door. That's all for episode 106, Cheltenham Memories with Richard, Sam and Charlie. In episode 107, coming up in a few days, I chatted to Richard and Sam about the major races at this year's festival. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at The Pad and Pad. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.